Good morning. If you're here for the first time, want to welcome you to Connect. Uh, I am the lead servant, I like to say, and just so so glad that you're with us on this Sunday morning. We're going to be blessed in a big way. Are you guys ready? Yes. Turn to your neighbor say, get ready, get ready, get ready. You know, I always say that because I, I know we got to prepare ourselves sometimes to to receive the word and to, to hear it so it just doesn't go in one ear and out the other. We're called to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Can I have an amen? So let's pray. Let's open up our hearts and, and our minds. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for the, the privilege. It is a privilege, Lord, to do what I get to do right now. I count it as such. I pray, Lord, that you help me communicate uh, timeless truths transferable truths, transformational truths. Lord, help them all connect right. Whatever's not right, Lord, I pray they can just see it and uh, dismiss it. But um, I ask, Lord, that not only the head part, but the heart part happen today. Connect not just stuff to their head, but to their hearts. Your word says if we hide the word of God in our heart, we won't sin against you, Lord. We want heart-hidden truth in our lives. Lord, uh, we're going there today, and so I just pray that you help us as we go there. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen and amen. Well, listen, we are, um, first I wanted to say hello to everybody online. Can you welcome everybody that's watching us online all over the place? Thank you for being here this morning. So grateful. And um, I want to also just introduce the series again. If you guys weren't here last week, we're doing a series uh, from Mother's Day to Father's Day, Motherhood to Fatherhood. By the way, did Mama Fry kick butt last week? I mean... Can I say that in church? Uh, she killed it. Good job, baby. You did such a great job. And um, she asked me, what did I talk about last week? I said, I don't know. I was totally distracted. You're so pretty. Uh, so I have to listen to it tomorrow. Um, but <laughs> listen, what I'm going to talk about today is prefaced by kind of this thought. Like, when I'm praying to speak, I I'm not just thinking about topical things. Like, what's, what's, what's cool? What's culturally relevant? In fact, sometimes there's, there's a lot of prayer, but there's also strategy, too. In fact, really recently, my son and I uh, and our marketing team even, we, we brought them in to get them to see, like, behind the scenes. Uh, but we communicate certain themes. Uh, the Bible is, um, it is all inspired, all equally inspired, but not all equally important. There are certain aspects of the Bible that are more important than others. God spoke it all, but how many know the genealogies might not be as important as the red-letter edition when Jesus was speaking to people? Right? So there are certain things, since you can't teach the whole Bible every Sunday or even in the course of a year or even two years, you got to break it up into the most important pieces. And so this, this subject today is one of those, it falls into one of those themes, and it's a doctrinal message. So I just want to say that right at the outset. Uh, it's not sexy. Uh, it's not, um, you know, something you're probably going to repost everywhere if that's how you flow and how you go. But I'm telling you, this word is going to help you in a big way. Can I have an amen? I'm very confident of that. So we're going to go into the deep end of the pool today. And um, uh, the message today is called falsehood. Falsehood. We'll talk about adulthood, I think, next week and the priesthood of the believer, if you've never heard of that before, and, and, and other hoods. Uh, staying in your hood, I think, is one of the messages I'm going to do as well. But today we're talking about falsehood. Everybody say falsehood. <laughs> I need some talk back, people, I promise you. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, kind of the kickoff text, it says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. We're all members of one body. What I want to do today is I want to take off the hood of falsehood. 
Falsehood, you could kind of describe it as, well, let me say it like this. We have an enemy who can't stand us. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. We know that's his job description, John 10, 10. And one of the things, and one of the ways, methods that he uses to uh, undermine the purposes and plan of God is to perpetuate lies, falsehoods, lies, false beliefs, false notions, false ideas, myths, um, opinions of man. And he's really good at it. And in some respects, he's winning right now in the world today. These false doctrines, beliefs, and ideas are everywhere. And it's produced a generation of confusion and chaos. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's going there. And so you, if you're not seeing it, you're just not awake. Uh, But there is a huge shift in the moral fabric of our society right now. Massive. The platelets below the surface are moving like no other time, yes or no. And so I feel, as a pastor, a certain weight, a certain responsibility to better prepare you for all that is happening out there by what we're doing in here. And I just want to encourage you, you need to make your church a priority more than ever. The Bible actually says we're supposed to meet more and more as the day, capital D, of the Lord approaches. That means before he comes back, the church should be found together more than it was before. Can I have an amen for more than 12 people in this room? Okay. So um, so I, I need to actually double down, in a sense, on the Word of God. And I'm, I'm in today an aspect of the Word of God, doctrines from the Word of God, beliefs from the Word of God, probably more than ever. In fact, maybe the condition of our society today is in some respects, as it pertains to this location, local church, an indictment of pastors, maybe even myself, where I'm just like, why is it? That we don't know the word the way we need to know the word. Why are we not following it or even knowing it the way we need to? Um, and I thought about myself, and, 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 I'll, and I'll put this, you know, out there to you. But, you know, I, I think there are three critical things. I, I put a four when I said three, so that's really messed up. But there are three critical things. You ever do that and you catch yourself? Anyway, there are three critical things that we really need to... Know and practice to be healthy as Christians. We need to be people who pray, people who worship, and people who study and apply the word of God to our life. Pray, worship, and the word, okay? And by the way, this is right there in the beginning. Like before we were even all here in heaven, there are three angels. They actually represent these angels, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer, represent those three things. So this, thing, this thing's been here from the beginning, the big three. Of those big three, the biggest one really is the word of God. Is the word of God. It's, it's the foundation. It's referred to often in scripture as foundational. You build on that. Are you with me, everybody? And so I, I can only say this for myself, but I love the word. I fell in love with the word at an early age. Uh, my first really study Bible I got in 1987, Thompson Chain, NIV. Come on, somebody. And, and I wore that Bible out so many times. I just wore it out, falling apart. I I couldn't part with it to have it recovered. I had it duct taped for years. Some of you guys remember that Bible that I had? Literally just, it was embarrassing. I'd walk around, duct tape Bible. But it's just because it was such a part of who I was. And, and now I have a Bible, a similar Bible. It's much nicer now, don't worry. And uh, I won't even travel with it because I don't want anything to happen to it. That's how priceless and precious it is to me. It just stays right there at the house like literally 90% of the time. I want that for you. I want you to love your Bibles. I want you to read and study your Bibles. I don't get it. I don't really understand why it's not. And and like I said, maybe it's an indictment of me or the church. But I think some of it's you. 
I think some of it's you. I think some of it is just you got to make it a priority. I'm asking as your pastor to, if you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. If you have a Bible, get it out. And if you have a Bible, get it out and get it in you. Can I have an amen? amen? More than ever, you need the Word of God hidden in your heart. I can't emphasize that enough. I could stop right there and we could all go home because it's so important. And just go home and read your Bible. But there's two things that I'm concerned about regarding the word of God. I think there is a systematic, and I say systematic because it definitely is, diabolical attack on uh, the truth or the, the, the truth of God's word. These falsehoods are just out there constantly berating and barraging and hitting people. And, I, and it started, in, it started in, 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 in the homes. It, it then came into, it, it was taken out of schools. It was, it, it was taken out of churches. Whole generations in the Catholic Church didn't, didn't even know how to read the Bible. Completely biblically illiterate. Told they couldn't read the Bible. Only one person could discern the truths uh, for them. It's just ridiculous. And, and, and now, and now it, we, we have this chaotic situation where people don't know the word. And, and to bring it to today, uh, it'll, get, it'll be a holy hush when I say this, but the issues today primarily where it really shows up is primarily around sexuality and gender stuff. It's created so much confusion in that particular area. And, and the Bible is completely clear, not unclear, about those subjects. It basically says God created them male and female. Just two. Just two. Now listen, I'm not trying to pick a fight with anybody in here or out there who could be watching. Honestly, I'm not. I'm just saying it's not confusing if God's word is the foundation. It's not confusing at all. It's confusing when that's not the case. And it's been, again, it's been a problem that's been going on for a long, long time. And so I have compassion, by the way, for people that think differently. And I want to say this because some people hear one thing I say and they're like, oh, yeah, now he's going to go. You know, and they're, they're so pumped. And then other people are scared because he's going there. And there's those two polarities that are going on. I'm concerned about people who don't think the way, the way God does. But I'm also concerned there's a great agenda that's going on as well where they're trying to eradicate and silence people from being able to communicate and speak the truth of God's word. So behind the scenes, uh, as a church, as an organization, a Christian with faith-based businesses, we're looking at our bylaws again and making sure they're addressing certain things. We're talking as a pastoral staff on a regular basis about some of the current issues and how do we apply the truth in a life-giving way. And we have things we call them case studies in our ministerial meetings. And, and, and I'm even like collecting what we would call policy papers to be able to even more clearly communicate the statement of faith and the truths of God's word so that we're ready to have an answer for the hope that is within us. We have an answer in season and out of season and we can aptly give a reply to some of the questions that are out there. We need to know what we believe, not just in whom we have believed. Amen? But my big concern, if that wasn't enough, is for the average believer today. A concern that people are not prepared to defend the truth of God's word. And so I'm just making a commitment. I'm going on record. I'm going to double down as your pastor between now and the time Jesus returns because the Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They don't know what they don't know. And so we got to get to a place where we know better what we believe. Can I have an amen? amen. Listen, if you think about it, the Bible actually is referred to as the bread of life. Bread for life. So none of you are going to go through the whole day without eating. I promise you when you get out of here, and if I talked about it too much, you might leave early. But you're going to eat today. 
But, you, but we go whole days, weeks, sometimes much longer than that without eating spiritual food. And I'm telling you, just like in the natural, you're going to die spiritually if you are not partaking of God's word on a regular basis. Okay? I promise you, it's killing you. There's a little song going through my head, killing me softly. I want to sing it, but I'm not going to sing it right now. <laughs> so I have a message that's going to confront some false doctrines and put some good biblical doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, follow with me in the word. It says, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, fill in the blank, Pastor Derek, preach the word, boy. <laughs> preach the word. You need to be prepared in season, out of season. In other words, and then it goes on to say, in so many words, don't just give them a message that's topical and tickles their ears and makes them feel good and it's trendy and sexy. No, you got to sometimes correct them. Sometimes you got to rebuke them. And you encourage to. With great patience and careful instruction. Look at what this says next. Pay attention. It says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. That time is here. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's here right now. It's here, right? It's right here. We here, we in that time. Instead, look at this, it says, to suit their own desires. You know what that is? It's I see the truth, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to behave that way. I don't want to think that way. This is especially true. Just going to say it. I'm not going to go there much more than this. But in our sexuality today, this is, a, this is the current one. This is the hot button right now. And it says, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. We live in that generation right now. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. This is us. Pause for effect. I was ministering a while back to a girl in our church. And, true story. And she came in. I had asked her to come in because I wanted to talk to her, and she wanted to talk to me. <clears throat> and I said, I, I, you know, I've heard some things. She said, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. She goes, first, let me just say, Pastor D, I want you to know I respect you dearly. I consider your voice as, as impactful, maybe more so than my own parents. You're like a, you're like a father to me. And as she's saying this, I'm thinking, oh, praise God. Maybe I'll be able to influence her. I thought, I got a shot. Because I had some concerns. And the concern was she was getting ready to go down a particular path sexually that, frankly, was immoral, according to God's word. And I proceeded to tell her, listen, hon, I'm really concerned. You're important to me, too. Uh, the trajectory, the course of your life is very important to me as well. But what you're getting ready to do is contrary to God's word. And I, and I used the word. I basically said, but this is what you're getting ready to do is immoral. And as soon as I said that, the chemistry of the room changed in an instant. Just, you could just feel, here's the Heisman, Pastor Derek. And she basically said, she goes, Pastor Derek, she goes, no offense. You got your truth, but I got my truth. That's your truth, but this is my truth. And then I said, no offense, but it doesn't work, it doesn't work like that, honey. There's not your truth and my truth. That's not really how it works in the, the, the world in which we live in today. Truth doesn't work that way. Truth doesn't adjust to us. We adjust uh, to the truth. So one of us has to be wrong. I'm willing to be wrong, but you're gonna, can you explain it to me? I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying to be effective because I want to help you. 
But you're going to have to kind of explain this thing to me. And here, it's just parenthetically, here's the problem. We have a subjective truth in our world today, but truth is not subjective. It's absolute. It's like gravity, everybody. If I said to you, and you disagree with me on this, I said, you know, uh, I believe in gravity, and the other person says, I don't believe in gravity. I said, oh, well, okay. But, but, but this is how it works. I tell you what, why don't we both come up to the cliff, and we'll apply our beliefs. I'm going to wear a parachute. You can just go like that. Ready, set, huh. You know what I mean? Like, because it's a law. And truth is like that. It's a law. Somebody's wrong. Somebody has to move. Somebody has to adjust. And, and so I have to say also, it, I want to be pragmatic with truth whenever we're delivering it. I want to be effective. I'm, I'm not trying to make a point with people. I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to make a difference. And that's how it should be with you too. And when you have that mindset, it's going to influence the way you distribute or you apply the truth. But the world has adopted this idea, well, that's my truth. That It just, it works for me. It works for me. And I'm telling you, it breaks the heart of God, and it should break your heart too. And behind all this are these falsehoods, these false notions. Uh, Corinthians, Colossians 2.8, it talks about these traditions of men, these, these ideas. And if it's not based on Christ, it, it, it's, we're encouraged that it's wrong. We've got to be careful about that. But these are some of the falsehoods or lies that we turn to. The first one is this, if you're taking notes, is human reason. Human reason. I got, I got up on my mind how I've decided something is going to be. Human reason. I, I read an article about a seminary president, seminary president who came to the conclusion on his own that the Bible was flawed. And he concluded that the resurrection, the miracles, the virgin birth were all flawed. He didn't believe it anymore. Seminary president. He's decided that whatever the apostles and the prophets had concluded was no longer true. What happened? How does that get to that place? It's because we're living in an age of enlightened truth. I've been, I've been enlightened all by myself on what, truth, on what truth is. But it's not, this idea is not new. Proverbs 16.25 says, there's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, everybody say in the end. Yeah. It leads to death. So... I, by the way, this is for Christians trying to be an influence. I'm never nervous, maybe not never, but I'm rarely nervous delivering truth of God's word. Okay? I, I'm not arguing. I'm, I'm not debating per se, but I'm never nervous about it. And the reason for that is because of what this scripture just said. Because in the end, I know where it's going to end up. When, In other words... Sometimes you can be going with people and you can just come to the conclusion that I don't agree with you, Pastor Eric. I don't agree with that, that, that God's word is my truth. That's your truth. Okay, that's fine. Here's what I'm going to do with you, honey. I'm just going to leave the light on then. Because at some point, you're going to come back. some point, you're going to come to the end of yourself. Because life out there is going to teach you the truth up there is still real. And it applies. And you're going to be in a pig pen one day eating what pigs eat. And you're going to come to your senses and what I want the church to be in a posture of is the lights on, the keys under the mat. You can come back. Thank you very much. Let's talk now. Let's have a conversation about the truth of God's word for your life. Amen? Because God, by the way, the commandments of God are not for his benefit. They're for ours. They're for ours. And so if that's true, we should apply those commandments and benefits the same way for others. Here's the second thing, a heightened focus on self. 
self. Me, 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 me. It's a heightened vocal. It's, it's, a, it's actually a spirit that <laughs> was birthed, conceived at, in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. It was judged in Revelation chapter 17. You can see that for yourself on your own. I'm not going to look at that right now. But basically, in Genesis chapter 11, the people there determined that God wasn't enough to be worshipped. And so they decided to worship themselves, to exalt themselves. It says this in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name, what? For ourselves. Me, 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 me. And that's the world we live in today. We have a world that is not interest, that's more interested in followers than worshipers in our world today. That, that should not be said of the church of Jesus Christ. We should be worshipers. And so Babylon, you need to see, whenever you see it in the Bible, is not about a locale or location. It's a mentality. It's a confused way of thinking. It's, a, it's putting me above thee over and over and over again. We see this in Isaiah chapter 47, verse 8. It says, and this, this is actually labeled, the heading is uh, the fall of Babylon. It says, now listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. That's the spirit of Babylon. That is the spirit of selfie. That's the spirit of selfie right there. Modern vernacular, that's the spirit of selfie. And it runs completely in contradiction to the name of the Lord our God. Because in Exodus chapter 3, look at what it says. It says, I am that I am. I am the Lord and there is none besides me. So it's not I am. No, it's God saying I am. And those two things are in conflict with each other. And I'm telling you in the end in Revelation 17, that is judged. But we need to judge ourselves and make sure that that selfie spirit is not alive and well in our lives. But we're exalting and lifting up the name of Jesus. Are you with me? Anything, you know it's Satan. If anything's exalting humans and putting God down, Satan is behind that. The enemy's behind that. And you know how this manifests, by the way, it creeps into the church. It manifests in the church are people of God that become more experiential and feelings oriented. God wants you to have good feelings. He does. He wants you to have great experiences. But not at the expense of the foundation of God's word. Okay, we're not, we're not led by our feelings. Feelings lie. Feelings are unreliable. We can't base our, 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 our happiness, our, our life on our feelings. And it creeps into the church, even into worship. This is where Satan got it all messed up. He looked at himself. The selfie spirit came. Look at how beautiful I am. Right? And that comes into the church in subtle ways. We're, all the, the, we don't, we're very conscious about this in our church where we make sure that the songs are more about Jesus than me. Because it's about his worth, worship, not my worship. It's, oh, magnify the Lord and see. Are you with me, everybody? And so we got to find songs say how he loves me and how he loves us. and all. Yes, he does. But we ought to be able to give Jesus Christ 22 minutes a week of worship to him and exalt him. Amen? It's not about me. Number three, the other thing that gets in the way, the false notions, the falsehoods, are trusting my feelings. Feels right, so it must be right. That's what this girl said to me. She says, I don't know, Pastor, I'm sorry, but it just feels right to me. Uh -uh. That's what I want to say. Uh -uh. Survey says, scary. It's, it's, it's dangerous. Uh, you know, that's, it's hedonism. That's the basis of hedonism. And just follow people who live hedonistically and see how their life goes. Yeah. 
I promise you, in the end, pig pen. In the end, pig pen. Why? Because feelings will never satisfy. Here's what it says. And the reason for that is, and the basis for why hedonism is, is feelings and me and reason. Uh, but we as Christians serve a king. Can I have an amen from two, more than two people? And, and, and the king is Jesus. And the reason sometimes we fall prey and we say and we do dumb things is because we have no king. And that's what it says in Judges, Judges 21, 25. At that time that we live also in today, there was no king. People did whatever they felt like doing. Whatever feels right, let's do that. But we have a king. And we don't just do whatever feels right. We, we've surrendered ourselves to, to Jesus. We're, in a sense, we're, we're bought with a price. And we are willingly making ourselves submitted to him. You could say a strong word, but slave to Jesus. Yeah. Slaves for Jesus Christ. Are you with me, everybody? Okay, so to, to, to re, we got to replace those falsehoods with biblical doctrines. And these biblical doctrines in the book of Hebrews are seen through the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as elementary, not elite doctrines. But unfortunately today, <laughs> they're more elite because people don't know them. It's for the people who study at a higher level. But they were supposed to be elementary. So I actually think if this was written today, it wouldn't be said the same exact way that it is in this particular text. Look at me. Look with me, not at me, at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Are you there, everybody? Yeah. Praise God. Twelve people are there. In fact, it says, though by this time you ought to be teachers. He's basically saying you should have progressed by now. But unfortunately, you haven't. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. That's how, that's how I feel. I feel like i got to go back. He says, you need milk, not solid food. Enough of the cereal. we got to go on. we got to go to some steak. But anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, which I'm about to show you. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use, this is so key. How do we become mature? By constant use. Use. Repeat with me. How do we become mature? By constant use. In other words, we're sermonized way beyond our level of obedience. People say all the time, I don't understand the word. You, will, you obey the word, you begin to understand the word. You obey the word, you begin to understand the word. This is better preaching than you're saying amen. And so by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Next chapter, Hebrews chapter 6, here come the six doctrines that I'm going to give you in 8 minutes and 20 seconds. Therefore, if you see a therefore, my daddy used to say you have to see what it's there for. That would go over way better 20 years ago. <laughs> therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Well, Pastor Derek, we can't because we don't really know them that well. And then it says, not laying again a foundation of... Here's the foundations now. These are the foundations of your faith. And I, I, I should do a six-week series on these, and I think next summer I'm going to. But I'm going to give you all of them at once. They are repentance from the acts that lead to death, faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you, like, a summary of those doctrines and one key focus statement for you to remember. So whenever you think about those doctrines, you can have one phrase. Oh, that's what this is about. Oh, that's what this is about. Are you with me? Okay, so here we go. The first three are about your relationship with God. And the last three are about your relationship with others. You don't, you should take notes on this, but it's between you and God. Six truths we must know. Number one, repentance from acts that lead to death. Repentance is a missing word in our culture today. 
People don't talk about it anymore. People are leading people to Jesus and forgetting to tell them to repent. We've been guilty sometimes of those mistakes as well. Repentance means to change direction. It's not 360s, it's 180s. So much of the church has come to the church hearing the word of God and not repenting. They go back into the world and do the same exact thing. We have a 360 church, we don't have 180 churches. Because we haven't seen the importance of repentance. Are you with me? But here's what it's really saying. Like, why is that important? It's saying, God is right, I'm not. That's what repentance is. So, when I'm reading my Bibles, because I'm going to read my Bible every day, when I read my Bible, I'm going to come to something in the Bible, and I'm reading it, and I'm saying, hmm, that doesn't look like Derek. Something wrong here. In other words, because the Bible's not a window, it's a mirror. Amen. And so I'm reading, and something, something about that's not right. So now, I'm realizing I'm reading something that I'm not reflecting, so I have a dilemma. The dilemma causes me to realize he's right, I'm wrong, so I must repent. I must repent. I know this seems like so basic, but honestly, I think we need to bring this back. It's not what's happening out there. It's not what's happening sometimes in here. Are you with me? And so what do you do when you don't understand the Bible? You, you understand the Bible when you obey the Bible. What do you do when you don't like what do you see in the Bible? You repent and, and come into agreement with God because he's smarter than you. He's bigger than you. He's wiser than you. He knows what's best for you. I don't like that. Okay. Well, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mark Driscoll says this. He says, there are no good people. There are just bad people who get justice or bad people who get mercy. So justice is you get to pay for your sins. You don't want that. Mercy is and grace is you let Jesus pay for your sins. And I want that. Anybody want that? Come on, somebody. So... So let's let, here's the summary, let the Bible define sin, let the Bible define sin, and just repent of that sin. Let the Bible do that. So I, I can't help but go into this a little bit more. So like, I, I, I have a problem sometimes, I get a little frustrated in traffic. Get a little angry. So my family knows, I get a little angry, I could be driving, to, I could be driving, and I'm like, come on lady, get out of the way. But then I'm reading the Bible in Galatians chapter 5. It talks about the, the, you know, the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And there are these there's different things, these attributes. And I'm not exercising self-control. I'm not showing patience. So I don't, I don't get to say, come on, lady, get out of the way. I don't get to say, like, that's just who I am. I identify as an angry person. I don't get to say that. Are you with me, everybody? So if somebody was doing that on the way to church, you know, it might have happened a month ago. Maybe a week ago. Okay, it happened today on the way to church. Fine. I don't get to say that, right? I, I, I got to have a reckoning, and I got to repent of those things, okay? Are you with me, everybody? So anyway, you deny God when you don't repent. So here's the bottom line. When you see those things, what do you do? Summary, you move towards God. This is what the world's not doing. It's moving away from God when it doesn't like what it sees in the Bible. That's the summary. Here's number two. Number two doctrine. Faith in God. Faith in God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. So that basically means something I'm not getting yet. And assurance about what we do not see. That's a certainty I will, but I don't know when. 
This is what the ancients, I love this line, were commended for. So I want to just say that faith is grossly misunderstood. Faith, faith is all, sometimes we think about it in our good days. Faith is about your bad days. Faith is about my marriage isn't working. What do I do? Stand in faith. Faith is about I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. What do I do? I stand on the promises of God. I stand on faith. Faith is I'm sick and I'm in the hospital and I haven't manifested my healing yet. What do I do? I stand in faith. Faith isn't about a shout just on a Sunday. Faith is about God when it's a bad day on Monday. Are you with me? It's more about my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But you still stand in faith. You still stand in faith. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. I'm going to summarize this, but it talks about all these incredible things that different people did. And it says, who through faith, everybody say through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained promises. They became powerful in battle, routed out foreign armies, uh, received back their dead, raised to life again. Then it goes on. It, it transitions in the middle. It says, there were others. Everybody say others. others. Nobody likes this part, but it says, who were tortured. Refused to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by a sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, not GQ clothes, custom design. No, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Everybody, that's faith. That's faith. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had promised. What? Why? Because these people had faith in something that others don't. They believed that by faith, God had something better for them. Look what it says. It says they knew, whether it was on earth or later in heaven, that God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would we be made perfect. They believe that even though I don't have it right now, even though I don't see it right now, I have faith that God has something better for us. Whether it's on earth or whether it's in heaven, I know it's coming because I have faith in God. You know who, you know who does this really well? Do you know who you could go to and talk to to help you with this? Old people. Old people can help you with this. Old people. You know why? Because they have perspective. They've lived long enough to know that God keeps his word. They've lived long enough to know that God is faithful. They've lived long enough to know that God keeps his promises and he does what he says he's going to do every time. And in fact, if you're a young person in your 20s and you're struggling with all kinds of things, instead of getting in a small group with other 20-somethings, you might want to get in a small group with somebody that's at least 50 plus, of which I am one. <laughs> All right, here's, here's the bottom line. Here's the doctrine summarized. You tr we trust God. You can put parenthetically no matter what. We trust God no matter what. Are you getting something out of this? Yes. Number three, instruction about baptisms, plural, plural. I'm going to summarize this. I just taught this at the Freedom Conference. Acts chapter 19, verse 3 and following has three baptisms in it. In the Bible, there are three baptisms, but it signifies really your journey, your steps of the faith. The first baptisms refer to the baptism of repentance. That's salvation. It meaning, it's talking about salvation. And then there's water baptism. That's an outward sign of an inward conviction. One thing was personal, but this, it wasn't meant to be private. When, you, when do you make it public? When you get water baptized. In fact, I'm, I'm fed up, a little bit frustrated. I can't even believe how many people, can I preach? Can I say what I really want to say this morning? 
I can't even believe how many people that have crossed the line of faith, that transferred trust to Jesus Christ, that said, you're my eternal security in spite of me has been turned over to you and what you did on the cross for me, and I can't get baptized? I don't. I always work on Sundays whenever they have it. I don't want to get my hair wet. <laughs> what? I've heard those excuses. Really? For real? I've heard those excuses. I'm amazed by that. Well, Pastor, uh, are you trying to say I'm not saved? Can a, can a believer be saved and not be baptized? Yes. You can be married and not wear a ring. Yes. But when I go home, Stacey's going to have something to say about that. Say, so we're still married. Yes, we are, but you're sleeping on the couch. Better yet, you're not even sleeping here tonight. Hey, can I just say, God is, ask, is asking really, the, he's asking a question. When I use that, that analogy, he's asking a question. He's saying, why is it that you won't tell everybody about me? Why won't you come out? Why won't you come out? See, some of you, you're not moving from milk to meat because you won't take that next step. You got saved, you're going to get water baptized. Then the next step is spirit baptism. Spirit baptism is not about heaven and hell. Spirit baptism is about earth. Jesus said, I got to go away, so he will come. Who's he? He's the comforter. What will he do? He will baptize you with fire. And he will give you power to live an overcoming life on earth. Are you a second-class citizen if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No. But you, why not have that benefit? It's not a demand. It's a benefit. The Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. The Holy Spirit makes me better than me. Amen? Are you with me, everybody? Jesus. I'm preaching in here. So the conclusion of that doctrine is we pursue all that God has for us. We pursue. We, we keep taking steps. Number four. Turn your neighbor and say, this is so good. So number four, the laying on of hands. Let me give you the laying on of hands. This is the doctrine of the laying on hands. Three, three basic things the laying on of hands is about. It's about spiritual blessings, laying hands on people, and just speaking blessings over people. Jesus put his hands on them and he blessed them. Talks about it in Mark chapter 10. It's about encouraging people to make a difference. Acts chapter 13 talks about this. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. The third thing it's about, it's about ministering to those in need. Mark chapter 16, verse 18, placed their hands on the sick people, and they got well. Here's the thing. People are laying hands on people for the wrong reasons in the world, but in the church of Jesus Christ, we should be laying our hands on people for the right reasons. We should be blessing them with our words. We should be ministering to them. We should be praying for them that they might be healed. Some of y'all don't need to be a pastor who just got out of seminary. You don't have to be a Christian for 39 million years. You just need to lay hands on some people, bless them, bless them, bless them. Be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what it means. It means to bless others. Number five, the resurrection of the dead. Whoever thought you could teach all these doctrines so fast? The resurrection of the dead is fundamentally this. We're all going somewhere when we die. We, the Bible doesn't even use the word death. It uses the word sleep. Because you don't die. You just go from here to there. It's between you and God where that there is. When and then. The here and there. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I was just ministering to this at a, at a gravesite ceremony Saturday. And I was encouraging everybody with this doctrine in a very difficult situation. They were saying goodbye to their mother. But they weren't saying, they, they, they were not saying goodbye, excuse me. They were saying, see you soon. See, that's the difference. With this doctrine, when you believe in the resurrection of the dead, you realize it's not goodbye. It's I'll see you later if you know him now. 
Are you with me? And so this whole thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, we're all going to be with the Lord forever. And then it says, encourage each other with these words. So I read this. I kind of talked for a second. I just said, all right, just take a moment and encourage each other. This is just temporary. What we're going through right now is just temporary. Light and momentary troubles that are achieving for us a glory that far away them all. For we set our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. What is unseen? We will be together forever as a family according to God's word because of the resurrection. Are you with me, everybody? This is a perspective that we all need, and it helps us get over all this earth stuff. I'm so upset with the government. I'm so upset with this. I'm so upset with that. You need to settle down a little bit. <laughs> settle down. Like, I'm not saying we don't have some earth fights on the planet to fight, but you shouldn't be so upset about it because we're, we have an eternal perspective. We see things through a different lens. Through, we're not looking through a glass darkly, so that's our big idea. We live with an eternal perspective. This life is a mist. It's a vapor. The, 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 this president won't be the president. Another president will be the president later, and then that president will have problems too. It's just going to keep moving. we got to stop getting so upset about all the things that are happening on earth. Make a difference on earth. I'm not saying check out. I'm not saying take me home. But I'm saying heaven's better than earth. And it helps. Can I have an amen? I was with my mentor. Uh, some of you know, I call him G-Mac. Our friends call him G-Mac, Gordon McDonald. He's 84 years old. This last Monday, I went to, went to see him. Two-hour drive up. Two and a half hours with him. Two-hour drive back. It's worth every minute being with that old sage. And I just suck every bit of virtue I can out of him. Walking around his library, looking at his journals. Whenever he goes to the bathroom, I'm like looking at his notes. What did he write? What was he? I want to ah, suck it all. Then he sits down and I just dump all this stuff because I can tell him what I can't tell you. I'm transparent, just not with everybody here. And you know, I went through some stuff with him and I was dumping some things on him. And uh, he looked at me and said, man, after hearing all that, I'm about ready for heaven right now. <laughs> but listen, you can't say that if you don't believe heaven is better than New Hampshire where he lives. You can't say that. He wasn't saying I want to go right now, but he was just saying heaven's better than right now. And he was reminding me that he goes, Derek, it's going to be okay. Heaven's better. Heaven's better. Here's my last point. Thank you for the keyboard. You're making me so much better right now. Here's the last one. You ready? Stand to your feet for this one. This is eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. We're all going to die one day. We're, we're going we're to transition, I should say. But we're all going to face God one day. We have to, that's the summary. We're all going to face God one day. In other words... When you get to heaven, you're also going to have a day in court. There's two courtrooms. One's called the great white throne judgment. One's called the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment, everybody's there. And it's all about Jesus. Everybody's position on Jesus. And the Bible actually says, for those people whose name is not written in the book, there's going to be a reciting from the books. Revelation chapter 21. The, what are the books? The books are everything you ever did are going to be judged. Because you didn't let Jesus judge them here, they'll be judged there, the books. Everything you ever did is in books. But 
What will happen on that day in the Great White Throne Judgment is they'll refer to the book. The book, the book is the Lamb's book of life. And if they see your name, move him right along. We're not going to look at all those. We're not judging those books. For those whose name's not in the book of life, judgment begins for that person. They don't go to the next courtroom. If your name's in the book of life, yeah, his name's here. Okay, send him on up. You get to go to the next courtroom. The next courtroom is the judgment seat of Christ. That is fundamentally where you get your rewards for what you did in this life, good or bad. That's more of a hee-haw celebration. Are you with me, everybody? So my question, <laughs> my question is, are you ready to face God? That's what this doctrine's all about, being ready to face the Lord. With every head bowed, every eye closed. What is your answer to the books and the book? Are you going to be judged by all the things that have happened in your life? Or are you going to let Jesus put all that upon himself by what you did in this life? What could you do in this life? You can't live a perfect life. You can't live a sinless life. You can't earn it, deserve it. Nope, you just transfer the weight of all of that to the one who came from heaven to earth to make a way for you to be in right standing with God and for your name to be put in the Lamb's book of life. I just want to urge whoever is in this room who does not have that certainty because life is a mist. Man, I've seen it. I've seen young people transition from this life to the next. I've seen old as well. But there's no promise. Either way, this life is short no matter what. You're going you're to have your day in court. I want to make sure you get to that second courtroom today. And here's how you can do it. You can say yes to Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, and you've never done that, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to make sure. I want to have my day in court today. I want to be right with God. Bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. Good and high. So I see. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes, yes. Four up here. Thank you. I see your hand all the way in the back there. Ma'am, I see your hand up front here. Thank you. You can put it down. Is there anybody else? Don't want to miss you. Thank you. God bless you for your courage. Thank you, sir. Thank you over there, sir. That's good. You can put your hands down now. I want you to pray this prayer with me, those that raise your hand. And those that are, have already done this, would you say this with them? Say, Jesus, today, today is my courtroom. I judge myself so I don't have to be judged in heaven. I receive what you did for me 2,000 years ago, paying the price for my sins, past, present, and future. When I stand before you one day and people say, why should I be allowed to come in? It's because I transferred my sin to Jesus Christ, the once and for all sacrifice, and he paid it for me. Because of that, I am now a child of God. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for every person who prayed that prayer that you would seal that until that day. We call it the day of redemption. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for those decisions. And I pray that they have that confidence and that assurance. And Father, I pray that they live their life different now because of that decision so that the second courtroom, they can have their rewards because they gave their life fully to God and surrendered fully to him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your doctrine. Hide the word of God in our heart that we might not sin against you in Jesus' name. And all God's church said, amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate. Heaven rejoices. All the angels are rejoicing. The book of life has more people in it because of what we did today.